Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Frank Zakari, and you are listening to Life Altering Events. Our sponsor today is the Tag Team, which is a collaboration of the Abraham Group, which is headed by Jay Abraham, who is the best marketing mind and business builder in the world, who's increased the bottom line for more than 10,000 clients by over $21 billion, and my company, Life Altering Events, who are experts in business organizational development, as well as finance and scaling of organizations. This is an elite and exclusive program for entrepreneurs who are looking to make an impact in the world and get the best return for their business. If you think you can make a difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, for application details. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 2020 has brought a great deal of unwanted change to the world. We have the COVID crisis, we have unemployment, looming recession, shelter in place, quarantine, working from home, and homeschooling. It's forced us all to change. We all know that the only constant in life is change, yet change is the one thing that most people fear. Now, why is that? This, the fear is the unknown. People like stability, and change disrupts stability. How is this going to impact my life, my job, my income, my family? It's frustrating, and it's depressing. But I've met so many people that are using this time to reevaluate, reflect, and reinvent both their lives and their outlook on life. Today, we're going to talk about everything matters and nothing matters. If you're like most people, pre-2020, there was never any time to reevaluate and reflect. We'd get out of bed before the sunrise. We'd jump on the treadmill of life that continually goes faster and faster. At the end of the day, we'd go to bed too exhausted to get any real rest and get up a few hours later and start all over again. We weren't living. We were simply existing. I've been there. I have felt every little thing mattered for so many years, and then I realized very little matters. Now, among all the chaos that we're facing, I've been able to talk to a number of people who have been using this time to look inwardly in the hope of finding a sense of calm and peace and meaning. Many of these people said to me, why would I want to go back to my old normal, my old job, my old habits with all the stress and anxiety? I want to be alive with a capital A. There has to be a better way. Maybe this is the opportunity to change. But how do we change? And what do we change? And here's the hard question. Do we really want to change? I recently read the introduction of the book, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters, by my guest Gina Maza. And it stated that in order for people to embrace and activate change, they have to feel it is both possible and important. And before I bring Gina in, let me tell you a little bit about her. Gina is the author of three books in the personal growth category, including Everything Matters, Nothing Matters, which received glowing reviews in Publishers Weekly. 
Her personal writing focuses on the link between the creativity and higher consciousness and how writing is a sacred merging with the creator. At the pinnacle of her literary success, a life-altering event threatened to take it all away. We're going to discuss this now. Gina, welcome to Life Altering Events. Good morning, Frank. It's so lovely to finally be in this conversation with you. So thanks for having me on. It is absolutely my pleasure. Gina, you are just an outstanding writer. You have the ability to educate, to inform, and to entertain your readers. Now, growing up, did you always want to be a reader or what, a writer, or what inspired you to do this? Hmm. I think that the act of creative expression has been always etched on my soul, I would say. There was always this urge to emote and create that was always present within me. When I was really young, age of six or seven, I discovered dance, classical dance, and was really into that as a mode of expression. And I came from a somewhat musical family. So being a dancer, I was drawn to the, the rhythm and the beat of music. And to me, music was something that you choreograph to, not something that you play with an instrument. Although my siblings and other extended family, that's what they were doing. And the other thing that I was drawn to was the lyrics, the, the story behind the rhythms. So I would say that similar to dance, I was drawn to the rhythm and the lyricism of language. And I discovered that I could kind of sing and dance through words. And it was very instinctual. I wasn't trying to be a writer or trying to be anything, really. I was just enamored with language. And I remember (laughs) as a kid, I had one of those hardbound Webster dictionaries. And and I would quiz myself. I would close my eyes and open to a random page and point to a word. And if I didn't know it, I would write it in a spiral notebook. And I know that sounds kind of nerdish, but that's... (laughs) just something that I was drawn to do. Um, And then as a teenager, I took up journal writing. I've always been introspective and feeling things very deeply. So journaling was a safe place to store those emotions and kind of make sense of things. And I did have teachers who encouraged me, who saw an emerging talent in my writing. So I was writing really just for myself, though I didn't share any of it with any anyone. And I was also a very voracious reader. I love to get lost in stories. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to that. Um, And in the work that I do now, I actually do encourage my author clients and my writer clients to be well-read. I think that reading good writing that lifts and inspires your own voice is one of the most important things that you can do to become a good writer. So I, I know this now, but at the time I was just having fun getting lost in in the finely crafted words and worlds of fiction, primarily. And it wasn't until I decided to go to university that I really gave serious thought to being a writer as my career. And by then I had given up the idea of becoming a professional dancer, and I don't regret that. I continued to train and perform with dance until my early 50s, actually, but writing always seemed to have been my main medium. Um, and for me, writing is a sacred act. It's, it's really something that can be healing on many levels, both for the person doing it and the person reading it. 
And I think I do say in Everything Matters, Nothing Matters that I refer to journal writing as what I call rule-lined psychoanalysis. It's kind of a place to digest and process and heal through life experiences. And again, for me, it was just a very intrinsic and natural extension of who I am. Um, and, And I do find that even today working with clients, I do bring in aspects about the psychology of writing and because that's a very important part of what people go through when they're writing their own story or when they're sharing something of themselves, even if it's a business brand, there's a a process that they go through that um, sometimes brings up things that need to be worked through on an emotional level. What a great answer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you read Gina's books or her writing or her poems, which we'll get into later, this this statement she made is a sacred act, and it's very inspiring. And you will be inspired. She'll make you think. And from that thought will come inspiration. It's amazing. Uh, Gina, I love this book, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters. And it's a very interesting name. So where did this name come from? That is a phrase that I actually would say to myself almost as a life mantra, Uh, So it makes sense that it ultimately became the title of this book. I would use it sometimes in a humorous or sardonic way to to rationalize things in my life. It was just just kind of a mantra. Um, So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that everything is extraordinarily precious. And at the same time, it's the both and here. So it's extraordinarily precious. And at the same time, ultimately insignificant. And I see real life as being lived in this this space in between this paradox, in between these two enormities, that everything does matter. And at, at the same time, ultimately, it doesn't. So I would say, looking back early on in my awakening, that I was much more immersed in the everything matters part of the equation. You know, when you realize that there's so much more to life than our daily preoccupations and our petty grievances and the things that you mentioned in the intro here today, uh, kind of going through the motions, when you open to the fact that there's this greater ultimate reality beyond yourself, it does really lift you into a more refined place of gratitude and acceptance for everything that is. And it seems like life becomes beautific in some ways, even the the painful and the gut-wrenching stuff that we have to live through, when you do it with full abandon and what I call full frontal consciousness, there's a poignancy to that that um, is really beautiful. And, you know, gratitude becomes the prevailing attitude. Gratitude is the attitude. So it's not just people and circumstances in your life, but it's the very simple lived experiences that matter. You know, the taste of your food and our ability to move our bodies and walk and all of our senses of touch, sight and sound. So nothing is taken for granted. You're revering all life experiences and allowing that affront to your senses in, in a very poignant way. So then as I matured and into my deepened into my awakening, things did start to level out. And I would say that I moved more into the nothing matters part of the paradox. And of course, this is, this is what was happening after the book was published. Um, And this is the place where you move into um, not detachment, but non-attachment, as I explain 
in the book and you let go of you know, judgment and blame and victimhood and all of those lower emotions. And you even move from the thought that everything has a reason and a purpose to none of it is inherently good or bad or right or wrong. It just is. And this space admittedly is a little bit more tricky to exist in, I found, because we are still living in the world. You know, we're very affected by what's going on, especially with what's happening in 2020. There's just so much that's, that is affronting our senses. And uh, we, we can't help but be moved by that. So when you start to experience that nothing matters part, you don't want to fall into apathy. Um, and, and I can say, too, that the essence of nothing matters can look to other people as uncaring. It could make you look like you're uncaring when that's really not what's happening. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, I, I've, I've questioned um, and, and I've experienced and experimented with going really deeply into that nothing matters part of the equation, even getting to the point where it's like saving, you know, we're talking about improving the world and saving humanity. Well, even that's not a thing, you know, like I've, I've gotten that far into it um, because when, when viewed from the broadest perspective, everything's neutral and yes, this can, this can get really existential. Um, but the fact remains that we, we do still have to live in the world. So it's important to, you know, to not linger in that space entirely. I love your statement that it, it's gratitude uh, and acceptance that uh, uh, nothing is good or bad in and of itself. It's how we think of it and what we make of it. And in reading your book, you talk about this a great deal as, as you started your journey in this awakening. How did you start this? What was the, what was the trigger that got you started? Mm, I probably probably started before I was incarnated. I'm not sure. Um, growing up, I was in a Catholic environment. I went to Catholic grade school and I was grateful to be learning about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I never quite a hundred percent connected with the hierarchy of religion though. Uh, the whole man in the cloth mentality and having to confess our sins to a stranger. It just never really sat well with me. This, this concept of a punitive God or God with a stick. And I think that it didn't because I was having within myself a very personal connection to my own God. I was having conversations with my creator just lying in bed at night. You know, I, I really was an introspective kid. I don't know why, but that just is how I was. And I would ponder things very deeply, you know, the meaning of life and what is death and why are we here? And at the same time, I was being taught in school that having this personal connection to our creator was, was blasphemy. And it didn't make sense to me. Um, I didn't fret about it. And I never shared that with anyone. I just, you know, it just was what it was. So I think my path into adulthood is very similar to what a lot of other people may have experienced if they grew up in um, a, a religious environment. I became jaded by Catholicism. I have to admit that. And in retrospect, there was some perversion going on in the church. And, and as a matter of fact, some of the clergy that have been found to be complicit in some of the sexual abuse um, was happening right in the diocese 
where I went to school. So there was that undertone. And I'm not afraid to call that out because I think it's important that we have that conversation. Um, But I pulled away from that part of my life during my 20s because I just kind of felt like it wasn't exactly a right fit for me. And then in my 30s, I discovered metaphysics and quantum physics, and that set me on an inward journey of my own making, I would say. And it coincided with the birth of my children, which was really important because when I had my children, I felt like I was reborn as well. And it was really important for me to look at how I was spending my time. And I was working in a corporate career at that time. And so I made a transition to entrepreneurship. And I wanted to work in an environment that integrated with being a mom. And so that's when I began writing full time. And my spiritual path paralleled that because I was also researching and investigating metaphysics and uh, topics related to that. So what ended up occurring was I very quickly carved a niche for myself as a journalist who was reporting on matters related to consciousness research and integrative medicine and mindfulness, all the things that um, were considered fringe at that time, but I was helping to bring them into the mainstream. And so as I began to immerse in all of this and report on it, it started to personally open me up in subtle and and not so subtle ways as I write about in the book. Um, You know, I just have this desire to get to the bottom of things. And so as I was assimilating all of the research and the studying that I was doing, it really started to transform my daily existence. And uh, from there, I just began more formal studies and training with different individuals in the healing arts and in the field of metaphysics. And I do document some of that in the book as well. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, we're up against the break here. Uh, Don't go away. We're going to get much more in depth with Gina. And we're going to talk more about this book and her life and, and transformational management of your life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. book frank zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event frank is a dynamic entertaining and fascinating storyteller your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately email frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. 
A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to LifeAlteringEventsRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We've had a, an amazing segment with Gina Mazza. We have two more to go. Do not go away. This is a very inspiring woman. I want to thank my sponsor, the Tag Team, which is a collaboration with Jay Abraham and my company, Life Altering Events, to help the next generation of businesses thrive. Now, Gina, before the break, we got into how you started your journey, which is outlined in great depth in the book. And I encourage everyone, go buy this book. If you haven't gotten it, get it today. And you open this book, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters, Gina, with a statement, we're all born with a creative soul. Now, as I look at my two-year-old grandson, I see that sense of wonder and imagination. Now, what happens as we grow up, and how can parents and grandparents nurture this creativity? Mm, Good question. It does seem as though creativity and imagination are not honored for the power that they hold um, to, you know, as we get into adulthood, it just seems like we do lose that. I'm not sure why having a sense of wonder and awe is relegated only to children, because the truth is that I believe being curious and allowing both the ordinary and the unknown to sort of have its way with you. Um, This is where true innovation really lives. It's where ideas get sparked and where uh, inventions occur. There's, There's such power in that that's unparalleled. And so I think it starts with us not honoring that and it's really important to disavow ourselves of this notion that we're not creative because we are. We're creative by our very nature. You know, creativity and creation is our very life force and we are literal creations, right? So creativity is not something that's separate from you and it's it's also not a talent. That's the other thing that I think people get hung up on that oh, I'm born with it or I'm not born with it. Well, yes, we can develop our proficiencies, but we're all innately creative. And uh, what I mean by that, again, from a, from a quantum physics standpoint, that we're creating our reality every minute of every day. And this isn't something you need a belief system around. It's simply happening as a function of our humanness. It's like breathing or hearing or seeing you can't really stop creation. You're, you're doing it um, whether you are aware of it or not. And it just really becomes a matter of how you choose to channel it and perhaps direct it for your own purposes. So I think the best thing that parents and grandparents can do is respect these human attributes of 
creativity and wonder and awe and imagination and to be in that wonderment with your children or grandchildren and to not try to program it out of them, to give reverence to it. And also for them to see you honoring it in yourself is really important also. Great points. Absolutely. Uh, Gina, last week, last month, last week, last month, we did a show about following your dreams. And a listener wrote to me and and she said this, I feel like a spectator in my own life. I exist. And I hope for someday when I can follow my dream. Now, you have a quote in your book from Antonio Mercado that I, I absolutely love this quote. Beyond living and dreaming, there's something more important, waking up. Expand on that. What I mean by that is, and what he means by that, I'm sure, is that there is this greater existence beyond our day-to-day physical existence. And this is where the concept of consciousness really comes into play. So consciousness is very simply our state of awareness. It's the way in which creation flows through us. It's like this invisible soup in which we're all um, sourcing from and storing from and expressing through. And we're connected to it all the time. So the same as as with creativity, what I said a minute ago, consciousness also is an inherent part of our humanness. And consciousness, I believe, extends far beyond even a human lifetime. There's no beginning or end to it. And this is where we get into the quantumness of it, but it's not time bound. So consciousness, this thing that we wake up to, is what happens when we open to the realization that there is this information field that surrounds all of us. And it's really where life really does get juicy and magical because once we open up to that, we tend to get the understanding that we're no longer just going through the motions in life. We're not on autopilot, that we're actually co-creators of our own life. So someone saying, someday I will fulfill my dream, um, you know, that that's something for the individual to really look at and ask the why of, you know, why not now? Why, why is there uh, a clock on this that I can't do it until... Um, it's, it's really important to be conscious of our motivations and our, what's really driving us from a deeper level because life gets in the way, right? Like every day we have so many distractions that can, you know, that we can use as excuses to not follow whatever that, that dream is or what we feel we're really here to do. Or even being able to define what what is the dream? What is the passion that so many people just don't know? Right. Now you give uh, you list seven incremental steps in your book for the readers who want to start this journey and to become truly alive. And I love the term alive with a capital A. The first two are intention and daily practice. Now, what is intention as you define it, and, and the value that it brings to your journey? So intention is, to me, not so much an ask of, I want this thing, and so I'm going to intend to get it. It's more 
the outpicturing of what happens when we're able to really step into that witnessing mode, which I talk about later in the book, and be more in a receiving mode because there there is so much more uh, to life than we're aware of. And again, this is where the concept of quantum physics really comes into play. Um, physics does now prove that everything is energy and everything eventually connects. Our thoughts are a form of energy. And so as we project our thoughts, this is informing the information field that we exist in and it's essentially causing it to reorganize around that intention so it's a simple way to think about intention is that it's how we inform the field Um, but that doesn't mean that does not mean that you think about something you set an intention and you wait for it to manifest in fact I'm not a fan of the the term manifest that's used a lot Um, what we're doing is joining in the universal flow of everything happening in our world and co-creating within that field. And everyone else is doing the same thing at the same time, whether they're aware of it or not. So it's not that we always get what we want, you know, or as the Rolling Stones would say, we don't always get what we want because it's a lot more complex than that. It's not wish fulfillment. And I do believe from my experience that intention that is pure and heart-based and used for good is more potent than, say, an intention to gain something material like a car um, or even more powerful than the intention to harm someone or something. It's that concept that the, the light can vanquish the dark, but the darkness cannot drive out the light. And I see evidence of this in a lot of things that I do. I'm actually in a um, Power of Eight group, which is based on the work of Lynn McTaggart, where there's eight of us, women working together every week. We've been in this group for two years, and we work with intentionality and prayer and focusing intent for a healing outcome. And there's a lot of studies and research at many teaching universities in the U.S. and around the world that prove this out, that when you um, are joined together um, in in a positive intent, it does affect the field. Now, there's a section on on intentions, and you called it logic-defying intentions, the the limitless power of the great. Okay? Expand on that for us, if you would. Yeah, I don't get too much into that in the book, but I would say that existing in a space of higher consciousness and creative abandon, those two things, uh, opening to me, creativity and consciousness come from the same source. So opening to those two aspects of life really does allow us to discover new parts of ourselves and explore untapped capabilities and capacities that we have. And A Course in Miracles says that there's no order of difficulty in miracles. Miracles arise from a state of miracle readiness. So what that means is that you need to get out of your head. You you need to (laughs) understand that the mind is powerful, uh, but there there are aspects of our beingness that extend beyond the mind and it can be, it could get in the way. So I guess what I'm saying is that 
the process requires a suspension of disbelief. Because if you think something is not possible, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you know what I mean. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. if we look at anything, you know, anything is possible with God. If we open up to that, then we increase the probability that things will happen in our lives that do look like miracles. As an outstanding point that the, if, if you, I love that self-fulfilling prophecy. There are so many people going to the next question is they, 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 they fail to create and sustain a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And that's the downfall for many because they're, they're too stuck in their head. And I hear it all the time. I didn't do my daily routine today because of this or that. And then it all of a sudden it becomes, well, I didn't do it for a week. And then I didn't do it for a month. Now, when you, cha- when you coach people and train people, how do you encourage them? How do you get them to stay on task? Not necessarily get them to, but how do you encourage them to stay on task? Well, it starts with really being clear on what you want to honor in your life. You know, is your practice important to you or is it not? And it's really, again, we're co-creating our own reality. So we get to decide what is important and what we want to st- spend our time on. Ultimately, I know that there, there are many obligations that we all have, but we're in charge of our own life and what we choose to spend our time thinking about and, and feeling. And so if having a sense of the sacred in your life is important to you, you will make time for it. And to answer your question, the way I encourage people to step into this is to just take it slow. Go with what feels right for you. You know, don't go full blown into it like you're starting um, on like a hardcore diet. Starting Monday, I'm not eating these three food groups and I'm going to exercise. No, go slow. Be realistic. And even if it's just finding five minutes in the morning to find a, a quiet nook somewhere to meditate. And there's there's lots of ways to get into a meditation practice nowadays. I, I obviously recommend meditation because it is that tool that takes you from um, the known to the unknown, from the, you know, the self to the infinite. And so, for example, just having an app on your phone like Insight Timer and doing a guided meditation There's tons of stuff online that people are offering now in terms of meditation. One of my early meditation teachers was David G. And he has, for example, so many meditations. Many of them are free. And so there's there's really a lot of resources out there for people. And there's a lot of, this isn't just spiritual. This is physical benefits that we're talking about here. You know, we're talking about calming the parasympathetic nervous system, reducing cortisol levels, and just having an overall sense of peace and well-being in your life. It's, it's really um, something to consider, to take time to do it, because it, it really is going to change your life. I've heard you say um, gratitude as being extremely important and starting the day in your meditation by coming up with some things that you're grateful for. How important is that? It's a game changer because when you focus on the good and the beauty in life, you begin to adopt that inner sense of hope and optimism and appreciation for what is. 
you know, it, it's so easy for us as human beings to get caught up in that, that hamster wheel of complaining and focusing on the negative and what's not right or what we don't have. And so doing that simple practice in the morning flips you into that space of positivity and, and peace. You know, it's a lot more calming to, be, to live in that space than it is to always be on edge and worrying. I read, um, I forgot who wrote this, but one of the things that I read was, if you laugh or if you do even in relaxation exercise and breathing before you go into something complex or something difficult in that day that you will improve dramatically. Is that what you found? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, laughter and humor, again, getting back to wonderment and awe and creativity, it's really important to laugh every day. There, there's actually uh, a practice um, that that is a, that consists of a laughing meditation um, that is ancient as well, and I've actually experienced that in in a workshop setting. It's actually pretty hilarious because you you end up just laughing, and it's incredible how at the end of it you feel completely different. You just feel shifted, lighter, happier. Um, so you bring up laughter and I just wanted to kind of call that out because that's also important to just, you know, laugh every day and in whatever way, um, it's appropriate. And also to, to laugh at yourself, you know, life doesn't have to be so serious all the time. That's exactly right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're up against another break here. We've had two wonderful segments. The third one is going to be the best yet. Do not go away. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. 
This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We've had two wonderful segments with Gina Mazzo. We're going to have one more coming, and this one will be the best one yet. Once again, I want to thank my sponsor, the Tag Team, which is a collaboration between Jay Abraham and the Abraham Group and my company, Life Altering Events, which is to help the next generation of businesses thrive. Just before the break, we got into mindset and meditation and and gratitude and laughter and the importance and how that changes you biologically and how you're able to move forward in a more positive way approach into your day and into your life. Now, Gina, when you and I spoke, you told me that just as you were in the process of releasing this this wonderful book, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters, you had two major life-altering events that occurred to you. You had the death of your father, and then you had a separation and subsequent divorce. Um, as much as you're comfortable with it, explain the impact this had on your journey of these events. Sure. I am really grateful that I had these tools to work through when this was occurring in my life. Uh, So at the time, my father was sick with Alzheimer's for about five years, and he eventually passed with that. And anyone who's been through that with a loved one knows how devastating just that can be, you know, watching someone deteriorate in that way. And then right on the heels of that, when I was actually finalizing the manuscript to send in to the publisher, I had hmm, an intuition, or I guess you could say a suspicion that something was going on with my spouse of almost 20 years. He had become increasingly distant and cruel, actually, towards me and our children. And asking him to talk about it didn't help. It was, I think, a classic midlife crisis, and I have my own thoughts on why the midlife crisis actually exists in our society. Um, That's another subject for another day, perhaps, Mm -hmm. but that seemed like that is what was going on with him. He was agitated and unhappy and very critical. Looking back on those years now, those 12 years ago, I can see that it was clearly emotional abuse, but at the time... I wasn't taking a victim stance. I was just trying to reason with him or get him into counseling, help him, even try to heal him, which I know now, you know, it's not possible to heal another person. But I gave it my best shot. And no one walks down the aisle thinking that they're going to be uh, divorced someday. So divorce wasn't something that had even crossed my mind. So it did throw me for a loop. So the way it occurred was five days before Christmas that year, which was four years before the book launch, I had synchronistically obtained uh, undeniable proof that he was involved with someone else. So it was a very, very solemn holiday, as you can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, been there. (laughs) Yeah. And we did end up separating that January. And things went from bad to worse. He seemed to take offense that I had outed him in this way. And 
um, basically turned on me and tried to do everything possible to ruin my life. And what was particularly painful is that he commiserated with several of my close family members and played a role in helping to turn them against me. So that was just my cross to bear at that time. You know, we all have um, circumstances in life that help us grow and evolve into who we're meant to be. And this was just what was coming up for me um, at that time. And I had never heard of the term gaslighting, but essentially that's what was happening. Um, He had convinced my mom, for example, that I was in a cult (laughs) and she was a devout Catholic and believed that divorce was a sin. So he played that card Um, and he did try to convince my children that I was mentally ill. Um, So on, on top of my own pain and the ending of the marriage and dealing with the betrayal of this ongoing affair, there was also this pain of watching my children go through all of this. And it was a very confusing time for them. Um, And then in addition to that, losing what was a very close relationship with my mom and several of my my siblings. So, of course, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where all of our spiritual practices come into really sharp focus. And when I talk about this now with you on this call, it, it seems like it was another lifetime ago, like it was just a chapter in my life. And I want to point out to listeners, too, that it's important to not get too attached to our story. You know, we're always free to write a new one. Um, But as I said a minute ago, you know, none of us gets out alive, right? None of us gets out of life unscathed. And if you play and you master this concept of nothing matters, you come to realize that it's just what happened. It's nothing more or nothing less. And Emotional betrayal is how it played out for me. And if it wasn't that, it would be something else. Because, you know, we're all here to have a human experience. Exactly. That uh, when we spoke, there was so much commonality here. Um, my, my former wife left after close to 25 years of marriage, 45 days after my mother died. And yeah. it it happened and it was devastating at the time but you know 18 19 years later however long it's been it was the best thing that could have happened mm-hmm. much closer i had custody of my daughters a much closer relationship with them which we can have changed uh, everything i was doing in my life and i i never thought i would say this out loud but i'm grateful mm-hmm. very grateful for that experience because I wouldn't be talking to you today had that not occurred. I'd still be in the corporate world doing all the clawing and all the other stuff you do, trying to make a living. Well, thank yes. you for sharing that because I'm sure many people are in the same boat. Now, you're doing a national book tour and you're going through a divorce, which are both emotionally draining experiences, and you're going through them at the same time. Okay, where did the strength come from during this beautiful time, positive time in your life, this amazing book is being released, and this devastating time where your marriage is falling apart? Hmm. Where did that strength come from? Well, first of all, it wasn't lost on me that this was all occurring simultaneously with launching uh, a book that offers basically a, a blueprint to peace and equanimity. So... The beautiful thing about living a conscious life is that you are able to witness yourself going through situations as they're happening. 
And it was devastating. I'm not going to lie. It was devastating to lose relationships with four people who claim to love me the most. But by then, I had this inner calm that ran deep into my core. And I had this vertical, unflappable connection to the God of my understanding. And I knew in the marrow of my bones that eventually, ultimately, everything was going to be all right. Even as I was encountering these layers of deception on a daily basis, um, you know, I was being kept in the dark about things. The more I turned to that inner light, to that connection to God, the stronger that I, the stronger I became. Um, so I guess you could say that the dissolution of the marriage and my family, this was <laughs> all a supreme opportunity to live my philosophy. So I decided, even before I had confronted my spouse, I decided for myself, how did I want to go through this experience? How did I want to show up? Not just for myself, but knowing that my children were watching, you know, every step of the way. And I could have easily fallen into, you know, a space of victimhood or revenge. Um, But by then, I also knew that I'm not responsible for someone else's actions. They're making the choices they're making. We're all making the choices um, that we're making, and they all lead to a consequence. And I understood that it was only my responsibility to be accountable for my choices and how I walked through this emotional trauma. And it really changed the whole trajectory of how I went through that experience. And of course, you know, life goes on. So I was running my business, supporting my children, and I had made this commitment to my publisher and was out on national book tour, was worried what was happening at home. I had, you know, people staying at my house 24-7 because my spouse was threatening to kidnap the kids while I was gone. You know, there was a lot of pressure. Um, But I had no intention of letting my personal suffering get in in the way of this commitment that I had made because I believed in the message that I had written about. And as it turned out, many, many, especially female readers on that book tour opened up to me about similar experiences that they had had. And I went on to host what were called Women Who Dare (laughs) conversation salons in different cities around the country. And I entered into these very deep personal conversations with women about how to navigate these painful situations. Um, so, so it really is being able to kind of step out of yourself and witness yourself going through these situations and making a conscious choice of how to respond and not react. Amazing story. It's truly amazing and enlightening and inspiring. Now, Gina, in the time we have left, you have started – You've been into it for a while, but tell us about your new and original poetry. The poetry is something that just arrived in 2019. Uh, I think of it as a gift for paying really exquisite attention to that quietude, that practice that I have. And I do want to, again, encourage listeners that meditation is profound in so many ways and you you don't really know what's going to show up. It can be extremely compelling And I started having this experience of waking up at three o'clock. So this wasn't really happening in meditation initially. Um, But I had what was, you know, basically a stream of divine information channeling through me. I didn't know what it was. I only realized over a period of time that 
this could be put together in the form of poetry. And actually, I didn't edit it at all. It just was fully formed. And I noticed they were messages for humanity. They weren't for me. So this wasn't something that I would publish and share, but rather I was given the the mandate from on high, if you will, (laughs) to share it immediately. Um, Because these were very clear messages that needed to go viral before 2020. And now, looking back on it, I know why. Because 2020 is hellacious, right? I mean, there's just so much going on. And we need to stay centered. And we need to be in that... um, in a spiritual practice in order to to navigate it. And poetry to me is, is a very potent way to um, to help raise consciousness and to get that message out there in very small snippets because that's all that people have time for. So that was an amazing gift that happened to me last year and it continues to channel through my med- meditations. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just about out of time here. Uh, buy the book, Everything Matters, Nothing Matters, and look into Gina's poetry. It will definitely lift up your life from where you are now. As I said, we're just about out of time. Thank you, Gina, for sharing this incredible story and your book with us today. Thank you. It's and a pleasure to be here. It, w- it, was, it was my pleasure. And thank you once again to the tag team who's sponsoring me. And if you want more information about Gina, please contact me at Life Altering Events, and I'll make sure that I get it to her. If you've missed any of this show or any of our other shows, they'll be available on demand at a number of locations, now including iHeartRadio, Google, Alexa, or my website, frankzakari.com. Let me leave you with this, ladies and gentlemen. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking in wa- walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Gina showed us where many of those rocks are. Join me again next week as we discuss another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cup.